Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church. I um, would love to welcome you to the last Sunday of 2019. It's the last Sunday of the year, but it's also the last Sunday of another decade. Right? I mean, let that sink in. It's like 10 years. I, I look at our life um, as the Vander Clocks when it comes to the last 10 years, and we've added, um, we've added three more kids. We've added two dogs. We've added one church. One church. But it has been a great 10 years for us. Um, so what do you preach about? What do you preach about on the last Sunday of the decade. Something momentous, something mind-blowing, earth-shattering, right? And I have just the thing. Fasting. Yeah, probably, probably not exactly what you were expecting. There's, there's nothing really mind-blowing or earth-shattering about not doing something. But I believe that when we leave here this morning, our flesh is going to be agitated and aggravated because our spirit is going to be encouraging us to step deeper into the spiritual realm and seek God on on a deeper level. And I believe fasting is one of the best ways to shift the focus of our faith back onto Jesus. It's a great way to reset our priorities. Before we dive in, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We ask that you continue to fill this place with your spirit, As the word is sown into our hearts today, we pray that you would be made famous by our words and actions as we step into the new year. Father, we thank you for your presence. It's so glorious. It's so wonderful. It's so available. The word says your eyes go to and fro throughout the earth, seeking those who are hungry and those who have faith. May we be that people. I pray that you would awaken the hearts and minds of the people of West Michigan. Awaken us out of our complacency, out of our apathy, and bring us deeper into a revelation of the love you have for us. Mark us with your glory and your truth and enable us to be the salt and light of the world. And again, we thank you that this message would not simply be information, but that it would be revelation that leads to transformation in each of our lives. In the name of your precious son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, in preparing for this message, I read numerous books and listened to numerous messages, but I really landed on a message by Paul Bergen, and I just loved the way he organized all of the scriptures when it came to fasting, and and some of his wording was so nice. So I want to give credit where credit is due and and let you know that um, a good portion of this uh, came from him in organization. Mark 2, 18 to 22 says this. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but, but yours aren't? Jesus answered, how can, the bride, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They can't so long as he's with them, but the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. And on that day, they will fast. Well, a few years ago, Samuel was working out of town for um, a good length of time. And so he would leave early Monday morning, and he wouldn't get back until Friday evening. And so that meant that all of my normal responsibilities fell on me, but then I also had to take care of the things he normally took care of. 
And so it was, it was a trying period, but I found uh, a method of comfort. And it has a name, and I'm going to share it with you. It is called the cream cheese Danish. Okay? And, and the best place to get the cream cheese Danish is Costco. Cheapest, delicious. But here's the thing about Costco. Costco doesn't do things on a small scale. Right? You can't go up to the register and say, hey, I would like one cream cheese Danish, please. No, you have to buy eight. And I am not even kidding you. They are, they are literally like the size of my face. So we were at Costco while Sam was gone, and, and the kids, the kids encouraged me to buy some. And so I thought, sure, I'll buy some. But it was fully my intention that only the kids would eat them. So we get home. They have a little bit of cream cheese Danish. I put them to bed. And Samuel's not home. And I'm bored. And I'm feeling a little hungry. And the golden crispy pastry that's filled with that perfectly sweet cream cheese filling, I mean perfectly sweet, starts calling to me. So I grab the, the two containers of eight cream cheese danishes, and, and I think, I, you got to find the ones with the most crumb. And so I, I pick out the one that I want, and I eat it. And then I pick out the next one that I want, <laughs> and I eat it. And pretty soon, I have found myself eating not just one, not just two, but multiple cream cheese danishes. <laughs> I had found myself committing gluttony. Now, we don't often talk as gluttony, about gluttony as a sin in America, right? In fact, we reward it, right? You, you, can get, you can watch eating contests when it comes to just about any type of food, donuts, hot dogs, pizza, ice cream, and we sit in the stands and we cheer on the people who are eating, and then we give the winner a prize. Because as a culture, we don't see gluttony as one of the big offenders when it comes to sin. But I believe that the overindulgence of things in this world is what's killing us. We're feeding on things both physically and spiritually that are leaving our lives malnourished. I read a statistic from 2013 that said that America alone produces 10 billion with a B. 10 billion donuts a year. That's enough to go around the globe 19 times. We have, <laughs> we have a deep affection for food and we have a deep desire to please the flesh on a daily, hourly basis. The Bible calls this the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. But John says that this desire comes not from the Father, but from the world. The Eastern world doesn't struggle with this because they have lack in this area. So their struggles are different. They, they can't just go around the corner to Costco or Meijer. And so they have to rely on God for their daily needs. In the United States, we basically eat whatever we want, whenever we want it. And we get, we get disappointed when Chick-fil-A is closed one day a week. We're so accustomed to be able to take to be able to take care of ourselves that we don't search out the spiritual realm for God's provision 
Fasting for spiritual reasons is not cool or popular to talk about. In fact, even in the church, it said that only 40% of people who attend church have ever fasted. And fasting is a pretty crazy concept to most of us. Simply stated, fasting is going without food as an act of devotion to God for 24 hours. Now, I know people who, I mean, Jesus fasted 40, 40 days, and there are people who have fasted 21 days, um, but 24 hours without food is a technical fast. And when I'm talking about fasting today, I am talking about prayer and fasting. The two go hand in hand. Because prayer is connecting to God. And fasting is disconnecting from the world. If you pray and you don't fast, then you're missing out on aspects of the spiritual realm. And if you fast and you don't pray, then you're starving yourself. Looking at the passage in Mark, uh, Jesus' response to those who questioned him about fasting was, why, why do you need to fast? Like, I'm, I'm here. You'll do that when I'm gone. Because the goal of our fasting is him. That's it. The, the goal is him. No more, no less. It's the goal of our fasting is to grow in our connection and access Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And guys, don't, don't mishear me. Food is, food is good. <laughs> right? That's because we were designed to love food. The word tells us that when we get to heaven, we have been invited to a wedding feast, not a wedding fast. Matthew 6, 17 tells us that Jesus assumed his followers would fast. He said, when you fast, not if you fast. That was a really good reminder for me, as I said, about to do my first full fast. So the first full fast I did came at the end of a spiritual discipline retreat that was required, required my first year of grad school. And on retreat, we stayed at an active convent, and we lived our lives side by side with the, with the nuns at the convent. And we were going we to be studying and diving into and practicing some of the spiritual disciplines. So the first one we practiced was community. Now, community, for me, easy peasy. I got this. I love people, and I love hearing about what people are passionate about. So no joke. Samuel's always laughing at me because if I meet you and you are passionate about what you do, I will walk away and I'll be like, babe, I got to be a trash collector. <laughs> Dude, I got I to gotta go back to school. I'm supposed to be a podiatrist. You know, I, I will think I need your job because I glean passion. So by the end of this five days at the convent with the sisters, <laughs> I was certain that I was supposed to be a nun. That was obviously my future. I see you laughing, and I, you think you know me. <laughs> Another dear, spiritual discipline that we focused on retreat was solitude. And after the spiritual high of community for me, Solitude was really difficult. It's not anymore. But it was really difficult. I mean, I think they had us stay by ourselves for 10 hours. No, no reading, no music, no books, no happiness, no joy, no breathing. <laughs> you know, honestly, 
I'm remembering the length and the restrictions wrong. But it was really hard for me. It was a really big step for me. So when we came home from the retreat and it was time for the fast, I thought, man, I did solitude. Like, this fasting thing, I got it, no problem. Oh, guys, man, was I wrong. 21 hours into the fast, I, I literally found myself laying on the carpet of my friend's living room, living room floor, praying to God that my body would fall asleep so I could escape the hunger pangs. And this whole time, my small group is stepping over me because they're preparing the meal that will break our fast. So I know, I know that that sounds really melodramatic. But again, it was a really big step for me. The reason it was such a big step is because in my life, I had, I had subjected myself to too much on a regular basis. Too much exercise, uh, too much in my schedule, too much food. But I had never subjected myself to that little before. I had become accustomed to gluttony as a way of life. In the word, there are appointed times for fasting and feasting. People throughout the Bible fasted to prepare for ministry, to seek God's wisdom, to show grief, to seek deliverance or protection, to repent, to gain victory, and to worship God. There's an early church document called the Didache that outlines the Christian practices for the church in the first couple centuries. And in it, it says that Christians would Fast two days a week without food. No food, just water. Two days a week. And church leaders throughout the centuries have testified to the incredible value of fasting when it comes to subduing the flesh and helping us become more open to the guidance and the strengthening of the Holy Spirit. And we're here today in this cozy environment with surprisingly comfortable plastic chairs <laughs> because Christians in centuries past have prayed and fasted for the things we're seeing today in the church. And we want to be that for the next generation. Now, in talking about fasting, I want to make sure that you guys understand that we do not want to be legalistic. Right? Jesus was never legalistic. He always offered an invitation to something better. Coming up in January, we're taking part in the 21 days of prayer and fasting. And um, it's a Daniel fast. So it's um, fruits and vegetables. And um, Daniel, it says, oh, the 21 days. 21 days, guys. It's not an arbitrary number. Right? In the book of Daniel, an angel comes to him and he says, hey, I was trying to get to you, but Satan withstood me for 21 days. So we want to give ourselves the best possible chance of the supernatural fighting for us. But the Daniel fast is really, it's, it's a partial fast. Only in Daniel 9 does it actually get to a true fast. And, and the Daniel fast is a great place to start, to restrict enjoyable foods. But true fasting is going 24 hours without food. And I believe that some of us are called to a true fast. Now, if you're, if you're pregnant or if you have a physically strenuous job, then you might not be able to do a full fast. But you can partake in the Daniel fast. You can maybe give up a meal. 
It's a great place to start, and you want to start somewhere. Now, I've heard of people fasting things like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Netflix. And don't get me wrong, it's really great to lay those things down. But that isn't fasting. That's discipline. That's normal. That's called being connected in real life, right? And, and Hebrews 12:1 says, therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. See, some things are sin that trip us up. Others, like Netflix or Instagram, are every weight that slows us down. And fasting helps us strip them off. So why food? Why food? Why, why are we asked to give up food? Because food sustains us, and we can trick ourselves into thinking that we don't need God when we're well-fed, right? When, when we go without food, we're saying to God, we're saying, God, I submit all of myself, including my body, to you. And when I am weak, then you are strong. And here's the thing, church. We don't fast to earn brownie points. It doesn't help us climb the ladder of spiritual success or it doesn't bring us more of God's love or favor. As sons and daughters of God, we already have full favor. We already are fully loved. Fasting doesn't, um, it isn't us doing something for God that obligates him to do something for us. It's diving deeper into the spiritual realm. And then we can feast on the things that God has told us to feast on. Philippians 4, 8 says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So I want to talk to you about four things that fasting does. First, fasting helps us draw near to God. The word says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. If we want to be a church that sees the miraculous, then we have to go deeper than just letting go of Instagram and Netflix. Fasting leaves our flesh agitated. But we want to be a, a people who's committed to growing closer to God. And there are people here who are committed to revival. We should all be committed to revival. Now here's the thing about that word. We back off because it sounds weird. It sounds like a crazy idea. That's, that's for crazy people. But the definition of revival is an improvement in the condition or strength of something. I want to see an improvement in the condition of the church. I want to see an improvement in the strength of the church. But revival won't come if we aren't praying and fasting. Because an improvement in the condition of the church will only come when we draw from the source of all life. And when we take away the distraction of food and we focus on God and draw near to him, we hear his voice. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So fasting takes us out of that comfort and it gives us that pain and it allows us to hear that familiar voice of the shepherd. And be more sensitive to him. In drawing near to Jesus, we want to become more like him. 
John 4, 31 says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Somebody bring him a pizza? Like, he's got food? But Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. If that's his food to please the Father, and we want to be like Jesus, and we have the mind and spirit of Christ, then that should be our prayer as well. To do his will and to accomplish his work. And the thing is, there isn't some trick for how to do it. It's not some hidden secret. We do it by prayer and fasting. A second thing that fasting does is it submits our mind and body the spirit of God. Your spirit will start to have dominion over your mind and body. Philippians 3.19, Paul says this, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. He's saying that those who constantly please the flesh, that constantly appeal to the flesh, that destruction is their end. You see, you are a spirit being, and your spirit is meant to rule over your mind and your body, but so often we're pulled by our earthly desires. Galatians 5, 16 says, so I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That's it. There are no hoops to jump through. We walk by the spirit. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to be inside us to ignite a fire for Jesus. And it makes sense, right? Because in the Garden of Eden, God said to Adam and Eve, he said, hey, look, you can eat, you can eat anything, anything. You see that peach tree? They are perfectly ripe right now. Those avocados, man, they're going to be good. That wheat, yeah, you can make some cool stuff out of that. Oh, and let me show you sugar cane. You're going to like this. But just one thing, just one thing, don't, don't eat of this one fruit, what do they do? They succumb to the seduction of, of earthly things. And all of a sudden, the order of the world where we are supposed to have dominion over the world and the things in it is flipped upside down. And now food has dominion over Eve. Now she is going to have to labor for the rest of her life, for her provision. And here's the thing, though. God didn't leave us in that place because Jesus comes. He's baptized, and then the Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days, and Satan comes to tempt him. And, and what does he tempt him with? He doesn't tempt him with fame or power or glory. He says, oh, you're hungry? Well, if you are the son of God, take these stones and, and turn them into bread. Eat, eat, eat. It's the same exact temptation as we experienced in the garden. But Jesus replies, he says, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Jesus overcame for you. He reversed dominion. He reversed the curse. And if, if you are sons and daughters 
of the Father, then you have the ability to have dominion and authority over your flesh and over the circumstances in your life. And fasting helps with that. Third, fasting helps with deliverance from bondage, sin, and our circumstances. Psalm 69.9 says, my zeal for God and his work burns hot within me. Are you burning hot for Jesus? Or are you, are you lukewarm? Are you coming to church this morning to check a box to see, to see what church can do for you? Are, you? are you here to give God a rating on a scale of one to ten? Ah, church, we are called to so much more than that. We are called to be literally Christ's ambassadors here on earth. We are called to great and mighty things. We're called to engage in community and to participate in God's great story of redemption. We're called to be the salt and light of the world. We're called to be on fire, white hot for God. The common denominator in past revivals is that the people were on fire for God. They weren't the smartest. They didn't have the most money. They weren't the most gifted, but they were passionate about seeking God and all that he had for them. And they did that through prayer and fasting. And I believe that prayer and fasting is the avenue that God chooses because it's not a discriminator. Anyone can pray. Anyone can fast. If we keep reading in Psalm 69, it says, And because I advocate your cause, this is David speaking, your enemies insult me, even as they insult you. How they scoff and mock me when I mourn and fast before the Lord. How they talk about me when I wear sackcloth to show my humiliation and sorrow for my sins. I'm the talk of the town and the song of drunkards. But I keep right on praying to you, Lord. For now is the time you are bending down to hear. You are ready with a plentiful supply of love and kindness. Now answer my prayer and rescue me as you promised. Pull me out of this mire. Don't let me sink in. Rescue me from those who hate me and from these deep waters. I am in. But today, if you're in deep waters and you feel like you're suffocating because of your circumstances, if you feel like you are drowning, then I want to tell you, cry out to God. If you will cry out to God, pray fast and humble yourself, then he will hear your cry. The word says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There's nothing too hard for him to help you out of today. Some of you are bound in addictions. It doesn't matter what the addiction is, right? Lying, pornography, uh, stealing, gluttony. We have the ability to humble ourselves and pray. And break these addictions with fasting. So if sin has you all bound up or broken down, I want to tell you that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. He isn't here to sit around and make you feel guilty and poke at, at you and your circumstances. He wants to help you out of them. You will be enlightened, I believe, through prayer to what the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal to you from God. And his word will come alive to you. And the, the things, the bondages that you have, they will become filthy and disgusting in your mouth. And you will spit them out of your mouth. You will spit them out of your life. Because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And nothing will satisfy like Jesus. 
Isaiah 58, 6 says, is this not the fast I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke, every single one. Yours, 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 everybody's, all of those bondages. He came to break every single one. It doesn't matter if it's secret. He came to break that too. This is why Isaiah is calling a fast in the scripture, and it delivers you, and everywhere, everywhere in the Bible, there's deliverance when it comes to fasting. Queen, Queen Esther says to Mordecai, she says, Mordecai, you gotta call a fast, because I'm about to go in to the king, and I'm not allowed to do that, so, so actually I might die, but you gotta call a fast so that our people will be delivered. And so he does, and the people, the Jewish people fast, and, and Israel is delivered. The account of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. He's ambushed by his enemies and, and they go to God and God says, go out in the morning. But he says, send musicians ahead. So here's what the word says. It says, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army after they had prayed and fasted. And they're singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. Then listen to this. Verse 22 says, at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, the enemies, to start fighting themselves. They killed themselves. <laughs> Dude, I could use that. <laughs> That's awesome. The enemy took out the enemy. This is what happens when we pray and fast, right? Darkness is crippled, and the enemy turns on himself. It happened with the pagan nation, Nineveh. God sends Jonah, and he says, Jonah, go tell him to repent, or I'm going to destroy the place. So Jonah's walking around Nineveh. He's like, hey, 40 days, it's all over. You got you to gotta repent. 40 days, 40 days, your destruction is coming. Get ready. Hey, in 40 days, you guys are toast. You got to repent, pray, and fast. And somebody hears what he has to say, and, and then the king hears it, and the king is is compelled to call the entire nation to pray and fast. And he says, let Everyone call urgently on God. Huh. Guys, if God preserves a pagan nation, what more will he do for his sons and daughters? Some of you have been going around for your bondage for 5, 10, 20 years. You've been battling the same thing. You've had the same struggle your whole life. This isn't how it's supposed to be. The word tells us that who the Son has set free is free indeed. In Matthew 17, Jesus comes into town and um, there is a, a commotion. And so he steps into the middle of the commotion and, and a man steps forward and he says, Hey, uh, I brought my son who has a demon to your disciples to cast it out and they couldn't. So Jesus casts it out and then later he says to the disciples who are confused because they've cast out demons before. This kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. This kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. Are there things in your life that you've tried everything, but they only come out with prayer and fasting? Are there things in this community, are there things in this country that we've tried everything, but they'll only come out through prayer and fasting? Let me tell you something. The military can't do it for us. The government can't do it for us. Business people can't buy our way out of it. There are some things that only come out through prayer and fasting. And fasting isn't meant to be ritual or tradition. 
It's not Christianity 101. It's personal. It's pushing through our discomfort to allow God to sustain us. And church is not, church is not, let me tell you guys, so much about what happens in here. Church is about what happens when all of you, the church, goes out there. The last thing fasting does is it helps us seek out God's will on matters. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them on their way. Fasting can be very intentional. I believe there are things that, that you guys are seeking God on. And I believe that fasting will allow that supernatural wisdom to come into your life. I think sometimes the fast, though, isn't, isn't just about us. It's about people around us. Is there somebody in your life that you should be fasting for? That you can be fighting for? Because it will be a fight. Elmer Towns wrote this in the book, Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. If you're serious enough to take up the discipline of fasting, you can expect resistance, interference, and opposition. Plan for it insofar as you are able. Do not be caught unawares. Remember that you are attempting to advance in your spiritual journey and to gain ground for the kingdom. That necessitates taking ground away from the enemy, and no great movement of the Holy Spirit goes unchallenged by the enemy. So how about you? Do you love Jesus more than you love your belly? As we saw earlier, Jesus clearly assumes that his followers were, will fast. But he doesn't give an exact time or, or duration. So that's up for you to, to seek out, to discern. So pray and ask God, how long is God asking you to fast? How, how often? And I want to encourage you to join us in the Daniel fast at, at, as we start it on January 1st. But I believe that some of us are called to a true fast. Please bow your heads and close your eyes. Maybe you're thinking, fasting sounds great and all, but what does fasting have to do with my heart? When Moses was leading the Israelites in battle, as long as his hands were lifted, they were winning. If he put his hands down, the battle would turn in the supernatural. So Moses held his hands up and victory came. You see, things we do in the physical can and do affect the spiritual. And when we submit our bodies to God, it can affect us spiritually. Thanks for listening. Our mission here at Life West Church is to see you equipped and empowered to be and do all that God has for you. For additional resources and info, go to lifewest.church.